Amen. Well, again, I am so glad that you are here worshiping with us today, and welcome uh, to all of you, especially if it's your first time here. Grab your Bibles, if you will. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 is where we're going to be today. Hopefully, you've got a copy of God's Word there with you. If not, maybe a device, and if not, there is probably uh, a very kind person nearby who will be happy to share with you uh, a copy of God's Word. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 is where we're going to be today. Uh, As we finish out our Advent series, uh, we've been talking about being a weary world that gets to rejoice because of the coming of Jesus Christ. And every single week as we've been walking through our Advent uh, weeks, we've been finding reasons for joy. When Jesus Christ comes to us, it is not simply a ritual. It's not simply something to mark the time with. It brings joy to our life. And every week we found a reason for joy, and we're going to find that here as well in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 in just a moment. While you guys are turning there, uh, listen, I don't know what sector of the internet you live in, uh, but there is an entire wing of YouTube that is dedicated to reaction videos. Have you ever seen these? You probably have because they've been around for a really long time. This is not a new thing. For well over a decade, people have been posting reaction videos. These are not videos of something cool or interesting. These are videos of people reacting to something cool or interesting. So you have something that happens, and that, but, but our camera is trained on the person. Maybe it's a, a friend coming home for the first time in years. Maybe it's them receiving some amazing gift. Maybe it's them hearing a song for the first time or watching a video or a clip or a movie for the first time. And we're not just watching this thing. We are watching these people react. And clearly we are all interested because there are millions of these videos on YouTube and they get millions of views. We keep watching. There's something interesting about watching people overreact. To see people get scared or overjoyed or cry in happiness. I mean, there's just something amazing about watching people have these incredible reactions. You can go home today and see whatever kind of reaction you want to see. And they really are a lot of fun, but as I watch some of these videos, what I instantly recognize is that this is clearly not all the footage that they got. This this is not like the first take where they get this amazing reaction, because you and I know sometimes in life, people have these incredible reactions, but sometimes they don't. You ever had that happen? You planned this huge gift, you handed it to somebody, and you had the video rolling to record your reaction video. And you know what they said? Thanks. That's it. That's all you got. I didn't get no likes on YouTube. Listen, that's not an amazing video. You don't get this amazing reaction. And sometimes that's the way it is. You would think that some people would just react. They would would have this huge expression, but sometimes they don't. And why is that? Why is it that sometimes we overreact and sometimes we don't react at all? It can't just be personality. Like, why is it? And look, I'm sure there's a bunch of different reasons, but but one of the reasons has to be that maybe we didn't just realize how great the gift was. We didn't understand the value of what was given. We didn't really understand what was happening in front of us. We didn't realize how rare this thing was that we were seeing or that we got to experience. And so our reaction is kind of muted because we just didn't understand. And look, that's important for us, whether you love YouTube or not, uh, when it comes to Christmas, uh, because our joy is at stake. 
We've been saying this entire season that the Lord comes to bring us joy. And for some of us, we have been living in that joy. But for others of us, maybe we haven't. Or maybe you find that hard. Or maybe you find it almost impossible to experience joy at Christmas. Could it be that we don't fully understand the magnitude of what is being given to us? And so yet again, we want to look to Scripture to see how he points us towards this joy. So look at Matthew chapter 1 in verses 20 and 21. We're at the very beginning of the Christmas narrative. Uh, We learned last week about Mary. Mary was told by an angel that she was going to bear the very Son of God. That was startling to her, as you can might imagine. Uh, But it was also a little bit confusing to her uh, engaged soon-to-be husband, Joseph who's now trying to figure out what to do with his suddenly pregnant fiance. Uh, And so an angel shows up to him too to tell him what is going on. So look at verses 20 and 21 and notice what it says. It says, But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, For he will save his people from their sins. Let's stop right there. Look, if you don't have that underlined in your text, I would absolutely underline that verse. And that last line, verse 21, is really where we want to center this morning. Because here we see the purpose of Jesus coming. The reason he is here. He tells us very simply, he's going to save his people from their sins. And those are two words that we must understand. If you want to know what Christmas is about and how to experience joy, you need to understand these two words, saved and sins. What does that mean for us? Well, let's look at the first word of save. What are we being saved from? If we're being saved, we're in trouble. But why? Why are we in trouble? What is the big problem that we're dealing with? All of us have an answer to that question, by the way. In fact, let's find out what it is. I want you to imagine that I could give you godlike powers for one minute. For one minute, you get godlike powers. And I say, you get to save the world. You got one minute to do so. What would you do? If you had godlike powers and you could save the world, you had one minute, what would you save the world from? Because there's a lot of candidates. You could save the world from war, you could give world peace. You could save the world from poverty. You could save the world from hunger. You could save the world from cancer. You could save the world from oppression. You could save the world from depression. There are all these different things that are plaguing hunger, that are plaguing humanity. What would you choose to say, I want to save the world? Listen, that would be an admirable thing to save the world from all of these different maladies. But at the end of the day, solving that wouldn't actually save the world, would it? It's interesting that when Jesus comes to earth, he is fully aware of all these issues. In fact, he's going to experience oppression. He'll experience hunger. He'll experience death. He he sees all of these, but Jesus doesn't come and fix all of these social ills, even though he agrees with us. These are all evil. They're bad. They're wrong. In his coming kingdom, he will solve for all of them, but that's not what he comes to fix. And the more you think about it, you can realize why. I mean, think about it. You could solve for hunger. You could make sure there was enough food for every single person on the planet. But if you don't solve for oppression, well, guess what? Sooner or later, that food's going to get taken away from people and hunger will creep up again. You could save the world from cancer. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
Look, I hope you're praying for the doctors and the researchers who are go to, moving towards that very goal and trying to eliminate cancer. But imagine if we actually can do it. It will be amazing. But if you don't solve for death, well, guess what? We're still going to be losing loved ones. And it does not matter how old we are when we or they, when it happens to us, it's always hard to lose a loved one. Even if we solve for cancer, we still haven't fixed the problem. Look, if you really want to get down to the problem, you got to get down to the root. And that's what Jesus does here. When he comes here, he says, I have come to save you. But here's what I've come to save you from. I have come to save you from your sins. This is the root that's underneath everything. This is what has caused all of those issues. And if you don't solve for that, more problems would just rear their heads. And so Jesus comes not to solve all of these temporary ills. No, he goes deeper. He goes down to the core to say, I have come to save you from your sins. So let's talk about that word. It makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? People don't like to talk about sin anymore. Sin is one of those taboo words in our culture. People say, Adam, how dare you talk about sin? Who are you to say what a sin is? Who are you to say what is right and wrong? I get to make up this for myself. Man, don't give me these archaic concepts about sin. I thought we've, we've left those things behind, but everybody knows what sin is. And honestly, everybody agrees with it. We really do. Whether you like the word or not, whether you like the concept or not, we all understand what this is because we all understand that the world is not okay. It's not. The world we live in is not okay. Everybody understands that. And if you really get deeper, you realize that we are not okay. We're not. That there's messed up stuff in you and in me and in all of us. The world is broken. And so it makes no use to ignore sin or pretend it's not there. Because P.S., every kid in the room knows what sin is. Do we not kids? You do. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> Man, I'm getting amens from all kinds of people. Look at this. Every kid knows what I'm talking about because... They have been doing a calculation because tonight, a lot of things ride on this, finding out whether they've been naughty or nice. They've been doing the calculations and they're working this out. Like, going, dude, I'm invested here. All right, I got skin in the game. All right, they know. But guess what? Here's what your kids did not ask you. Kids, I, I guarantee you didn't ask this. You didn't ask you, could you define for me naughty and nice? No kid asked that. Could you, who made these rules? Can you tell me, what are the rules here? What are the rules there? Who made these rules? I object to the concept of naughty. No kid does that. They do not ask for clarification. You tell them, have you been good this year? They don't go explain the concept. They don't do that. They get it intuitively. They know. So for any adult who says, I don't just know if I believe in sin anymore. Could you possibly be maybe a little disingenuous about that? Because deep down, we all know what we're talking about. What, what is it then? So what do we mean when we say sin? Here's what sin is. Sin is a failure to love God and love other people. Sin is a failure to love God and love other people. Break down the Ten Commandments, you'll see that. First five, failure to love God. Second five, failure to love people. It is when you and I look at God and say, no, I want things my way. And I reject your laws, I reject your ways, I reject my relationship with you. I want things my way. That is sin. We, we have broken our relationship with God. This is what sin does to us. And look, I don't know if we really have grabbed onto that as the real root problem in our lives. Because for some of us, we just, we just don't know what to do with it. I think for some of us, we don't, even, we don't even know we're in trouble. Like if you haven't really grappled with sin, you may not even know that you're in trouble at all. You say, Adam, I don't, I don't really think this is all a big deal. I got issues in my life. I just don't know if sin is one of them. And we are oblivious 
to just how much danger we are actually in. And look, that, that, that really is dangerous. I, I, I used to do a lot of driving. I travel for a living. And the most scary road sign I ever saw, I saw it a lot, but there was one road sign that scared me more than any other. You want to know what it is? It was this one. Check it out. It was this one. End doubled fines. That is a terrifying sign to me. I said, Adam, what's wrong with this sign? It's just end doubled fines. Here's why that's a terrifying sign. Because I didn't see the first one that said the fines were doubled. <laughs> I'm just doing my thing. I'm running, right? Listen, I mean, y'all know I cannot talk very fast. I, I do a lot of things fast, including driving. All right, so... I, I was just doing my thing. I had no idea. I only see this sign, which means I've been driving for however many miles and I had no idea. I was in a much more dangerous situation. I didn't even know. I know it's over. I had no idea the danger I was in. And for some of us, that's how you're living. You're just running around having no idea the danger that we're in. You ever been in, like, in a conversation where you realize that people talking to you are getting more and more mad? It's typically your spouse, right? And you're having a conversation and you start to see the smoke coming out of your ears. And I'm going, I don't even know what's going on. This, your, your face is weird. What's happening? You're about to find out, okay? You don't even know how bad you're making it, right? You don't even know what you're saying. Some of us have no idea how bad this is. Jesus Christ says this is the root cause of everything in our lives. Here's the second problem. Some of you go, well, how do I can deal with it? Okay, fine. There's sin. I get it. But I can deal with it. So Adam, just, you can keep your religious stuff. I just came with family. Thank you. I'm good. Appreciate it. I know I've done a couple bad things, but I can pass the Santa test. All right. I have done more good than bad this year. And so whatever bad I've done, I have done way more good to overcompensate. I have done more good things than bad things. And if I've done some bad things, and sure, I will even be willing to admit, I probably have a couple, don't know what they are, but surely they're there. I have done way more than is necessary to work off that sin. So I think I got it covered, but we don't. You see, sin doesn't work like that. Sin has consequences, and it's not possible for us to work those off. It's not possible for us to compensate those. It is doing more damage than what we are aware of. And look, anybody my age or older ought to understand this because we all went and saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (laughs) Kids, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's kind of fun. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is about Ferris Bueller. He's the coolest kid in school, and he decides to skip school one day and to get two of his friends to skip school, and they're going to go have fun out in the city. But in order to do so, they're going to steal his friend Cameron's father's car so they can go joyriding in the city. Cameron says, my dad loves this car. He knows how many miles are on it. He'll know if we've ridden this car. Ferris Bueller has a plan. He says, oh no, when we're done, we'll put the car up on our blocks and we'll run it in reverse and it'll just take the miles off. If we run it in reverse for however many miles we drive, he'll never know until we find out that's not how cars work. Odometers don't work that way. Once they're on, you can't take them off, which hilarity ensues, right? So, but for some of us, you're still assuming that as long as I do more good things than bad things, I'm good, right? And the Bible says that's actually not true. That's not how souls work. And guess what? You need someone to come and save you from your sins. And here's the final thing. It's just worse than we thought. It's worse than we thought. These consequences that sin brings to us, it's just worse than we thought. See, see, we all have a, a selective memory, do we not? I have a very selective memory. 
I am very good at remembering all the good things that I do. I am very good. I can tell you about all of them. I am also very good about forgetting all the bad things I do. It's very easy. And most of us do this. Why? Because we feel better that way. Man, that stuff makes me feel bad about myself. These things make me feel good about myself. And so it's so much easier to remember all the good we've done. We have done a really good job of ignoring, putting away, forgetting the bad things that we've done. And we have no idea what our sins have done. Because you see, here's the thing we don't remember. All sin has ripple effects. It, It creates ripples. And those effects go farther and do more damage than we intend or we comprehend. You might say, Adam, I know if I do this thing, it'll probably hurt somebody. And that's true, but you have no idea. It's not just going to hurt that person. It's going to have ripple effects way farther than we understand. That, that incident or that argument that you had with somebody, guess what? You thought that was just going to hurt your spouse. You thought that was just going to hurt your kids. You had no idea it was going to hurt your entire family. It was going to hurt your friends. It was going to hurt the people you work with. It was going to hurt other people in your neighborhood. It was going to hurt people down through generations. You go, well, I didn't intend that. I didn't know that was going to happen. And yet it occurs anyway. Because that's what sin does. Sin gets out of its cage. We're not in control of it. And the impacts have ripples that go way farther than what we understand. And so think about all the things that we sometimes do, whether that's overeating or overspending or overreacting or overdrinking or over whatever. We just say, well, it's not all that bad, is it? And you don't realize that those ripple effects are going farther than we know. And so Jesus Christ comes in to remind us that I have come to save you, not from one thing or two things. I've come to save you from the root of all things. I have come to save you from your sins. Because this is the biggest problem that you and I deal with. And look, if that makes us feel uncomfortable, then please look at verse 21 again. I mean, this is what he's saying. This is Christmas. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And that's what he's giving to us. That is a gift that he's giving to every single one of us if we will simply receive it. And that's where the joy comes in. But you might ask, okay, but but can he do that? Can Jesus actually save me from my sins? It's an honest question. And the answer comes at Christmas. The fact that Jesus Christ has been born into this world as one of us. We can't just jump ahead to the cross. We have to start here at the incarnation. It is essential to us because, listen, if you and I are going to be saved from our sins, it requires two things. Number one, it would require that somebody lived a perfect human life. It's never been done before. Save Jesus. No human has ever lived a perfect human life. That's what we were made for. That's what was intended for us. If anyone was going to save us, somebody would have to do what we haven't done. They would have to live a perfect human life. The word human is important. Jesus is not coming in just as an, an avatar. He's not a hologram. He's not a representative. He says, no, I have to come in and be like you. This is why he takes on flesh. Because I have to live and I can't start later on uh, and just come in fully formed as a man. No, he starts just like us as a baby and lives a perfect human life. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. That person would have to exchange their life for us. Now, this is the crazy part. You see, if you live a perfect human life, there are consequences. You get eternal life. You you get all the blessings that come with with honoring God and living in Christ and and everything that was meant for us. You get all of these accolades. You would have to exchange everything you rightfully deserve 
and give it to the person you're trying to save. And then from that person, you would need to take everything that they deserved. And so here's what Jesus Christ does for us. He lives a perfect human life. And instead of taking the spoils of what he has done and going back home, he takes all that he rightfully deserves and he gives it to us. And then from us, do you know what he takes? All the penalty for our sin. All that you and I deserve. All of the wrath of God. All of those ripple effects that we have rightfully earned for ourselves. Jesus Christ takes all of our punishment and just gives us all of his life. It is the worst trade in all of human history. Why would someone do that? That's a terrible trade. Why would he make that exchange? And it's very simple. Because he loves you. That's the joy of Christmas. He loves you. He loves me. No matter who you are or where you've been, the Lord says, no, I have given this for you. And so look, we don't just start with the cross. We start here at Christmas. This is why Christmas brings us joy because Jesus has come in the flesh. It opens up a door for him to truly save us from our sins. But then you get the biggest question. Okay, he can save me, but will he? I know he can save me, but will he? Because you might say, Adam, he, he might be willing to save you. He might be willing to save, uh, I don't know, a missionary. He might be willing to save uh, people on staff, but, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if he would save the likes of me. And that makes sense. I hope that this is true for all of you, that if you got in trouble, there's people you could call. That if you found yourself in trouble, there's somebody you could call. You know that they would take your call and they would do what they can to help you. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's, a, it's your family and they kind of feel a little bit obligated to take care of you, right? It's somebody you've known. Maybe you did them a favor once and you know that they'll give you a favor. Maybe it's just somebody who likes you, but there's people you can call. that you know if you were in trouble, they would come and help you. I hope that that's true for you. But I bet you also have a separate list of people you would never call because you knew that they wouldn't help you. That if you found yourself in trouble, there's folks that you absolutely would not call because there was an incident. There's bad blood. There's history. There's good reason. And he said, man, if I gave that person a call and said, I'm in trouble, there is no way they'd come help me. And they'd, they'd have good reason to do so. There's no reason that that person would help me. And I think for some of us, we kind of think God's in that category. Because when you and I finally come to grips with our sins, we have to, to realize something. There's been an incident. There's history. There's bad blood because we left him. And we rejected him. And we said no to him. We knew what he wanted and we did the opposite of that. Maybe you've been away for a while and you said, God probably doesn't want anything to do with me. Adam, I've, I've done things that even I am ashamed of and I, and I don't want to talk to him about that. There, there's no way he wants anything to, to do with me. Adam, I've, I've, just, I've never really liked God. I've said evil things about him. I've purposely rejected him. There's no way he wants anything to do with me. And please look at verse 21. You will call his name Jesus and he will come to save his people from their sins. Jesus doesn't come to save the righteous. He comes to save us. 
He doesn't come to save the, the squeaky clean. There aren't any. He comes to save us. That means for every single one of you, no matter who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, this is the joy of Christmas, is that Jesus Christ has come to save you and to save me. Not only can he save you, he will save you. This is why he came. If you will simply receive it, this is what brings the joy. This is what opens up the door for joy in realizing you can be forgiven. You can be accepted. You can be adopted. You can be changed. You can have the eternal life that Jesus Christ won by his own life. He offers it to you if you'll just take it. And if you still say, how do you know? Adam, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done, and you're right. How do you know? Well, that's the reason we're going to partake in communion in just a moment. Because you see, on the night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples together to have a meal. And he takes bread and he breaks it. And then listen to his words. He says, this is my body, my flesh. This is my body and it's broken for you. And then he takes the cup. He pours wine into it and he passes it around. And he says, this is my blood. It's going to be spilled out for you. It's the blood of a brand new covenant I am making with you. Did you see that? It's his flesh and blood. And the very next day, he proved that this was not a metaphor. He actually gives his body and his blood for us. But back at the dinner, do you remember what he does after he breaks the bread and pours the cup? He gives it to us and he says, you can eat this. You can drink this. I'm giving myself to you. Judas is still at the table, by the way. I'm giving myself to you. To all the sinners, to all the broken, I'm giving you myself that you might be forgiven, that you might have life. And so when we come to this table and we partake of the bread and the cup, yet again, the Lord is inviting us to say, a reminder to say, I love you. I came for you. And though you were lost in your sins, you can be forgiven. You can be accepted and you can have my eternal life if you'll just receive me.